We'll do a quick recap of a couple things just to catch you up and to get you remembering. Yes. Oh, that's so disappointing. No more. works. What does? Purple. No. We, we need new markers. They're yeah. bad. Yeah. Tell me about Bobby. Valentine's Day. What do you know about Bobby? <laughs> Bobby. Bobby. You met him in the very first chapter and then okay, not again no. yet. He was talking to Bruce. He was talking to Bruce, so we know Bruce. Bruce. Oh, is that the guy you met at the airport? Yeah. Nope. No. Bobby. Bobby was in the very first chapter, and then it rolled back in time. Yeah. So the first chapter was kind of modern, and there was a big guy that sweat, and his name veins stuck out of his neck. Humberto that came on and said, "This land is our land. I claim this oh, land." Oh yeah, and he was like, "I'm gonna kill you." Wait, so yes. <laughs> what? That was Bobby. No. no. Bobby no. was one of the guys that was there with oh, Bruce. Oh, and then they and were Humberto. And, and they were like, they went on a boat, and then they were like, Amazing. and they were like, they didn't even say anything. They were like, we're going to pull over here. Right. And they pulled over at a special spot. So it's where progress had been made, but the idea is Bobby becomes a very important character. Humberto is Colombian. Wow, what's going on? Wow. Okay. Humberto is Colombian, but he's not really, right? Yeah. He came in to be a colonist for Colombia, meaning I claim this land, right? So Bobby and Bruce, or Bruchko, Bruchko, because that's the name of the book, and that's his nickname. And okay. Bobby never called him Bruce. What's Bobby did. Bobby's real name? Why, 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 why? So if you look at the very front of the book, the very front, it is dedicated to his friend. Why is that? A couple of pages in, one page in, two pages in, you'll see it. It's just dedicated to, keep going. Next page. Bobarashora. Bobarashora. And so he called him Bobby. Okay, Bobarashora. He's a good friend of Brute. Bruchko. Okay, so Bobby and Bruchko, we learned, did something yeah. together, and Bobby talks about schools that the children are going and they're reading books. The books have been translated by, by Bruchko and Bobby. So they work together to translate the Bible, a book at a time, into into the native language of Bobby so that the kids can read it. And they're reading it like crazy. Of course, that's in the future before we reel back in time to Bruce's start. Okay? So you meet him. And then we reel back, like I said, in time. Now Bobby says we may have to make a stand for our land. Because we've been giving our land away and giving our land away and giving our land away. And how... Now, they are Modalone people, okay? Modalone people. And how do people out in the jungle survive? What do you think they eat? Berries and meat. Meat, berries they hunt, they gather, they probably farm, okay? In little bits. So it's important that they have land, right? They have to have land to survive. Especially when the game moves, 
you have to go get it. You can't live on a little postage stamp and survive as a tribe. Okay? So he, he kind of basically says, I don't really want to do this, but may, we may have to stand for the land. Okay, so then we reel back to where Bruce Olson okay, is living, and he is a young man, and he's about 16 years old when the, when the story picks up. Okay. He is raised in what type of church? Lutheran. Lutheran. And he was he underwent a something called a confirmation. Mm-hmm. They like take a class, like a Bible class, and then they go and get confirmed that yep. they believe. That, right. You learn here's what the beliefs are. Yeah. Here it is. Now you're a Lutheran. Alright? You go through the process, they have a special Sunday, they do the process, you did this, and now you're a Lutheran, and so you're considered part of the saved church. But there's a piece missing that that Bruce, as he was raised, just didn't have. There was nothing real and personal to his relationship with God. And he didn't even know it, but he knew that something was missing. So along he goes, and this personal experience to God, with God, he actually finds, because he's reading his Bible. Now, as he reads his Bible, he gets a little confused. He gets a little, "Ah, what does this mean? What does this mean? He asks his father, and his father has no use for it all. Of course you don't know what's going on. That book was written 2,000 years ago. It's useless for today. Okay? He doesn't think the same way. And somehow Bobby has an interest. Yet his father is totally against it. His mother's probably neutral at best. Wants to keep the peace in the house. And so she goes along with the father. With whatever he needs. And you find that gets a little bit hairy as she continues to support him. And Bruce, we see, gets less and less welcome at home. Okay? So God begins to introduce himself to to Bruce after he's had this personal experience. He says, I had a peace. I talked to God. I had this peace with God. And all of a sudden, my my. My experience changed, and my viewpoint changed, and when people were picking on me, I didn't think about it the same way anymore. My personal experience was such that I think I should start to tell people about this. And so the more people he tells, the more people, excuse me, the more people push back against him and say, you don't know anything. You think you're a big holy roller. You think you're important. He starts going to this church, this youth group, and starts doing things with the church. And the more he does it, the more angry his father gets. And then you remember one night he came home from the church and he'd been going to Bible studies and things. He got back to his home and his parents had locked the door. And they didn't wake up. Maybe they were up. But his father said, we are not letting him in if he's going to do this. So it's a pretty tough night. 
He says it was a snowy night, and that was one of the first things that Bruce began to learn. If I am going to stand for Christ, things will not be easy. Okay, And that's where really we left off in chapter number 3 as the family members intensify and they push back. Even his mother, who I think doesn't necessarily believe it's all bad, doesn't want the pressure and the stress that it brings to the family. So she says, just stop. Don't do this anymore. Right? And so as he's locked out, remember he has to go to a friend's house and walk back a couple miles to stay at a friend's house at night. Because his father basically says, we're not letting him in. And don't you dare let him in. All right? Feels pretty rejected. Now, to start that off, I want you to say, to tell me, do you think this is right? How would you feel if you were locked out and everybody in the family was right inside and didn't come to let you in? <laughs> I probably would cry, right? <laughs> I'd probably cry too, right? <laughs> and you knew they were there, and you knew they were choosing not to let you in. Either way, that's a pretty rough treatment. This is what Jesus says about it. Let's look in Luke chapter number 21. Luke chapter 21, verse number 12. Understanding that when God calls you, and this is, this is something that we are going to see, God's call on someone is not easy. And the call for everyone is not necessarily that you're going to go be a missionary to Indians in Colombia, okay? And the call is not necessarily that you're going to go be a pastor, although I don't know there could be one or many of you sitting in this room that God has those calls for. I have no idea. The idea is He has made you for something, and He has made a plan for you, and He is going to call you to that plan, whatever that might be, okay? It, but with it... When you walk God's plan, you will find some difficulty along the way. So as we read this, this is talking, this is when Jesus is describing in the end times, which I know we are very quickly approaching, if not in our times, okay? Then maybe this last century, Paul called this whole time the ends of the ages. We are just approaching the final time essentially, okay? So these things apply to you. He says, if you go out in my name, these things will apply to you. Chapter number 21 of the book of Luke, verse number 12, and we're going to read through verse 19, please. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue, synagogue and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers, for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. 
For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. And he shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my for my name's sake. But there shall not a an heir. An hair, yeah, a hair. A hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. Okay. He says, I'm go I'm gonna call you to something and you may have to stand. You may stand before leaders someday and you may give an answer about Christ. You may stand and go to prison for what you believe. You may be called to some place and it will be difficult, but it will be, it says there in verse 13, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. What's a testimony? Like a... Um... You, so a reason. So if somebody gives a testimonial about a product, what are they? What are they saying? This product works because here's my. It happened in my life. Yeah, I, you guys are probably way too young, but way back when they had <laughs> commercials about this hair place that would do replacement hair for men. <laughs> And they had this guy get on there and he said, look it, this is blah, 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 hair club for men. And we're doing all this sort of stuff. And it was the guy with the great big wave of hair on there and stuff. And he said, at the end, not only am I the hair club president, but I'm also a client. So in other words, he was bald, but now I've got this beautiful head of hair and I'm here to tell you how great it works. Okay. That's a testimonial. Um... So, old people say that all the time, right? Not only am I a hair club president, but I'm also a client, right? So, anyways, it was funny way back when. Um, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so, a testimony is an opportunity to say this works for me, okay? And do not underestimate the power of your story when you get to talk to people. They can say, well, I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in this, and I don't believe in this, and they can tell you all the theoretical reasons why. And you can say, well, I'm not really sure about all the theoretical reasons of, of why you don't think of it, but here's what I've experienced. There's a lot of power in personal experience with God. Okay, So Bruce is telling his parents and telling people about his personal experience. He wants others to experience it. He's got this call, this burning that started inside of him because he's actually had a personal start with God. And you can have one of those if you start and accept God in your heart. If you pray to him and say, I, I've done things wrong, I've done a lot of things wrong, I want to change here now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. It begins a personal experience, experiment, experience, I'm sorry. Um, so, when you, but when you go out, things will probably change. There'll be a great time, wonderful time, and you'll be lighter than air. And then things will get hard along the way. There'll be hard things in the pathway. And that's what he's saying. They will persecute you. Some will even die for what you believe. But be ready with an answer. 
Don't fret over it, but know that I will put wisdom in your mouth and it'll come out in ways that only God, only the Holy Spirit can do through you. And when you do that, people will turn. Even your parents may turn. Even your brothers and sisters may turn against you. If they don't believe and you've been put in a family for a reason, there is not a mistake of where you are, the birth order that you were in there, the people that are in your house, your brothers and sisters, your parents. There's no mistake where God puts you. It may not be easy for you all days, but there's no mistake about it. So understand that your witness begins in your home. And some homes will turn you out when you do it. But that doesn't mean to stop. Because God says, don't worry, I will not let one hair on your head be harmed. I'll be with you. I'll walk through it with you. So Bruce, he's 16, 17. He's pretty young to be standing on his own for what he just newly learned about. And yet it is so real and, and, and personal to him that he can't let it go. He just wants others to see it. So he goes to this church, and he goes to this other church, not the Lutheran church, and that's part of the reason why. When he went to his Lutheran church, even his, the, the pastor at his Lutheran church says, ah, you don't need to get into all of that stuff. That's real nice for you, but don't go sticking your nose in other people's business where they've been. Okay? And all he did was had a passion for God. So you'll understand very quickly people that have real connection with God and don't. When you have a true connection, it's easy to separate them out. Doesn't mean you mistreat them ever, but you tell them about the Lord. Okay? That's part of what you're called for. And don't expect that everything will be easy along the way, even in your family. It can be a problem. So, he goes to church. He's 16 again. He goes and he meets a Mr. Rayburn. Mr. Rayburn. I'll explain him to you, and then maybe you'll remember. He was a missionary. He was a missionary. How was he dressed? I don't know. Big green polka dot shirt, black pants, and dirty tennis shoes. And that bothered because he looked sloppy. This is the beginning of the work God is doing in Bruce's mind. Now God has a plan for Bruce. God's plan for Bruce eventually gets him to the Modalone Indians to be a great friend with Baba Bor Shoro guy, okay? <laughs> Bobby, we call him, right? How does he get there? Well, a series of circumstances which God creates walks him through there. And his mind is one of the beginning things he needs to do. He's watching this man, and where does he get the idea that a green polka dotted shirt and dirty tennis shoes doesn't fit in church? From his childhood, right? Whatever church that was. And I'm not saying all Lutheran churches are bad or good or whatever. That, that 
is irregardless, we will find through this book in particular that God is where he is. And God is not called away from any spot. God can be in any spot. And you can worship God in any spot. So you will find his people in many places. Okay, that's one thing to understand. But this piece is for Bruce to say, I should take away some of my thoughts. But he struggles with it. And he says, this guy, he's like a fool standing up there. He's not dressed up nice. He doesn't look right. Now, some of that probably comes from what his mother or his father taught him as well. You do this when you go to church. You look nice when you go to church. You don't do this. You don't come out in tennis shoes looking like an idiot up there. And he struggles with the thought of this. But Mr. Rayburn talks about, he comes from, I think it was, he was New Guinea, I think. And he comes up and he tells about these poor people eating rats. And he shows a picture of the guy with a rat in his mouth and just the tail hanging out of his mouth. And says, this guy needs Christ. And then he has a conversation basically with the people and saying, you need to get serious about those people who need Christ out there in the world. So Bruce goes home that night and he has a nightmare. And the nightmare is about the guy with the rat in his mouth. And the rat tail's hanging out of his mouth and he grabs the rat tail out of his mouth that becomes a whip. And he starts whipping Bruce and saying, your blood is on, my blood is on your hands because you didn't tell me about Christ. And that's one thing that Mr. Rayburn said is, if you're not going to go out and tell people about Christ, your blood, their blood is on your hands. You're called to do it. You do it. So he's pretty intensely thinking about this. He's 16 years old. Now, 16 years old, of which you guys are there and very close all through it, you have a very well-developed mind and you are ready to go into the world. Not long. God is preparing you today. Where is he sending you? I don't know. But this is what he's having and he's and and Bruce is is really struggling with this thing. This whole idea that he's not doing what he ought to do. And he goes back and he says, God, these missionaries are ridiculous. He kind of has a fight with God as he prays to him. I'm not going to do this. You can't expect me to be like this guy with tennis shoes. I can't do this. This isn't me. I'm not going to act like this. Now, he has been learning languages and loves language, wants to go to be a doctor of languages and essentially become a professor. Loves languages. Okay, we'll learn a little bit more about that in a moment. Now, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 2 because God weighs in on his thoughts. When he says these these. Missionaries are ridiculous. In fact, these missionaries have failed at life. And so they go off to some other country to try to make a life of something. If you 
you just need to be careful not, not to put judgments out there about other people, what they have done. Let God deal with them. First, uh, First Samuel chapter number two. Two. Oh. Chapter two. I'm sorry. Chapter two, verse number three. So exceedingly proud. Not let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So this is God's answer back to Bruce. What do you know about them? You don't know anything about them. Be careful, Bruce, that you're arrogant, thinking that you know more than this guy, that he's a failure. Be careful, because I'm calling you to do the same thing. You have preconceived notions, you have thoughts of how things should be, but you will learn that you have to change. And God does this to us. And he says, be careful of being arrogant, be careful of being arrogant. Don't keep on talking with your pride again and again and again because the Lord is a God of knowledge. God knows things way more than you and I know. He looks at a much larger picture of the world. And we have this little tiny picture from our little tiny home and our little tiny school and our little tiny town. And we think we know everything. And God says, you don't know anything. Be careful of how you say things. Who you call a failure. Who you think is a dummy. Who you think has wasted their life. Who you think hasn't done what. Let me say who did what they are called to do. So be aware not to say and call other people and say, that person's no good. They're terrible. Be aware. God says, don't be arrogant about things. Arrogance, remember, arrogance was the sin that took down Lucifer. That is a powerful sin, to think you are better than other people. So the Spirit of God begins to keep working in Bruce. And he keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. And pretty soon, pretty soon, he says, I've got to go study language. So he's going to go. He ends up going to Penn State to study language. Okay? <laughs> okay? So he goes and studies language, and by steps of revelation, he continues to have this passion to read about people in South America. And as he reads and he reads and he reads, he's going to the library, he's going to college, just in the first year of college, and he starts reading more and more about these people in South America. And he cannot stop reading about Venezuela and Colombia. Now again, he does not know where God wants him to do, but don't you think that's a little odd, right? Seeing the whole picture, you say, well, that's obvious. God pointed him there. But as he's sitting, walking into the library, and just sort of picking something off a shelf and sitting down and reading it, God's design of him and his spirit has pushed him there to say do this, do this, do this 
not audibly even a lot of times, but just in his interest, God has been working in who he is. Don't underestimate the steps that are you are going through right now in your life, what you're learning. The hard teachers that you have, the successes, the things you're good at, the things you're not good at, okay? The struggles you have, the books you read, all of those things roll together. If you are following God, God is rolling them all up into that one plan. And one day you'll look back and say, wow, that was amazing what God has been doing for all these years. And I didn't even know it. So in Bruce's life, he is doing it and he's teaching him. He's, he's learning language. And one night he gets a final passion and he says, God's going to send me to South America. I'm going right now. I can't wait anymore. These classes are obnoxious. I can't deal with this anymore. And so he decides he's going to go to Venezuela. And he writes to a mission board in Venezuela and says, I want to be a missionary in Venezuela. I want to go and help these Indians in Venezuela, the native tribes in Venezuela. Help me get there. I want to do it. All along, he is dreaming to be a professor of language. Now, what happens? What happens? He gets that letter sent right back to him, and they reject him. We don't want you. Thanks, but no thanks. And so he goes back, and he says, well, I guess that was a no. I'm going back to school, and I'm intensifying my, my learning about languages because that's what I really love. So Psalm chapter 37, Psalm chapter 37, verse number 3 through 7. Let's read them, please. Because you have to... Even though God has called him to go to South America, and he said, fine, I'll go, and I'm just going to go out and reach, God's still not done, right? And we want to just, God to move. When we hear that God, this is my plan, we would say, well, God, let's just do it then now. And God's got other plans. So what is God doing in the background? Psalm 37, verse number 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, please. Trust in the Lord, and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily... Oh, whoa, sorry. Oh, yeah, that was right. Dwell in the land, and thou verily shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Okay, so we got a list from that. Trust in the Lord, be fed. Delight in the Lord. And he gives you what? The desires of your heart. 
desires of your heart. Who made the deepest, purest desires of your heart in you? God. So don't you think he wants you to have them? So Bruce's deepest desire is really to be a professor of languages. Right? He loves language. Some people do. I have a cousin who is doing, learning Greek and Hebrew right now. Both? Mm-hmm. I think that's very confusing all at once, but that's what she's doing, right? Loves language, wants to learn it. There's lots of literary people in my family, okay? So that is something that appeals to some people. There are some people that aren't that, and they say, well, that's no good, but God made you different, okay? And you may not be that person, and that's fine, because God created you with what he did for a reason, He rejected Bruce going to Venezuela because it released him to go back and finish studies. Right? He wasn't done yet. Though he was ready just to jump on board and hop on a plane and go to Venezuela, it was not the time yet. Time will come. But the time was not yet. He had more learning to do. There are many times in life where God says, not yet. Go slow. You need to grow now. Time will come. Okay? So, a lot of times we look in a very small way, but God is working in all of our parts of life, winding us together for so many different things. We see very small pieces of who God is, and God is going to help Bruce pick up a bigger picture of him. I'm going to read just a short excerpt on page number 29 in your books. A couple of short excerpts I really liked. The bottom of page number 29. Second to last paragraph on the bottom. Here he is in school. But many times as I studied in the library, I felt God nudging me. Bruce, I want you in South America. But Lord, I tried that. Don't you remember? I was turned down. Turned down by whom? By the mission board, of course. And he's having this struggle, this, we'll call it a prayer, we'll call it a fight, we'll call it whatever with God, this back and forth in his head. Why the mission board, of course, turned me down. It was as though God were smiling at me, amused and tolerant. Bruce, I didn't turn you down. I want you in South America. Follow me. God, this is ridiculous. How can I go down there without a mission board? You want me to go down there without anyone to take care of me? I mean, without protocol and all? Bruce, I'm in South America too. And then slowly, unwillingly, I began to see what God had been trying to teach me. He hadn't called me really to be a missionary like Mr. Rayburn. He had called me to himself, to be like his son, Jesus Christ. And he wanted me to 
follow him to South America now. So the moment finally came. Basically, he got with that, hopped on a plane. He took a few bucks with him as he finally got on the plane. But first, he had to go get a passport. He'd never been out of the country before. He knew his parents were going to be amiable to that at all. And so he ends up spending the last few dollars he has to go get a passport. He drops off to Chicago. He's got enough of a, of a uh, train money for his fare, for the train. He has no money to eat when he gets there. And as he walks along, he's hungry, there's a $10 bill on the ground. Now that's not the way God's going to provide every time. But God is saying to him, you follow what I want you to do, it will be there. That is a hard thing to learn. I remember years ago, I was at Mont in Montana, and I had a very limited budget. And I went on the weekends up to go with my aunt and uncle to church in Montana. And then I went back and lived in my car when I was going to horseshoeing school. Um, sleeping in my car, eating what I had in my car. And I got to the very last week of class, the last weekend. And I remember that last weekend, I was in, I was in church two weekends before with my aunt and uncle. And I felt really compelled to put $20 in the plate as they passed the offering plate by. I didn't have $20 extra. $20 meant what I could eat on for the week. That's the money I had. And that's how tight I was down to that money. So I got to my final weekend. Nothing really mattered because I had just enough saved up. And I got to my final weekend where I was going to go home to my aunt and uncle's house and then I had to come back for one week of class, my last week of class. I had like a little half of a package of crackers and one other little thing to eat. And that's what I had for the next week. So I was planning to go and eat all I could eat that week. <laughs> that was my whole plan. Because I didn't have that money. If I had not put the $20 in, I'd have, I'd have had enough for the week. I could have gotten what I needed, but I had put the $20 in the plate a couple weeks ago, so it was gone. I didn't have that money. I got back to that house that weekend, and I was planning to eat a bunch, and there, I think it was Friday that day, was a box delivered from food from this church. Enough for the rest of the week. Probably eat better that next week than I had eaten all the time. But God says, if you take care of what I tell you to do, I will provide it. It wasn't there when I left the week before. It wasn't enough, and it didn't come till the moment I needed it. But when I needed it, it was there. So, so he is learning this lesson to trust God. That same lesson. Simple, small things to trust God. And when you learn that, he begins to start to travel. He heads off finally to Caracas, Venezuela with no plan. He's never spoken Spanish in his life, which is what they speak at least in the proper parts of Venezuela and Colombia. 
And he's got 70 bucks. He leaves from his parents with 70 bucks in his pocket. 70 bucks doesn't get you a long way, even back in the 50s and 60s. It's gonna get you about a week in the hotel. Well, he's gonna go live there. What's he gonna do, right? better than this today, right? You get a night in a hotel, maybe, and nothing nice. Right. <laughs> Not very much. A thousand dollars, like it would be today? Yeah, maybe. 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 Because isn't a night, like depending on the hotel, a night can be up to a hundred dollars depending on how big your right. family is and how... But remember, he's alone, and he's also in another country where it's cheaper. Oh, yeah. So. So. Either way, God's going to provide. So he's on the plane, and the guy next to him is speaking Spanish. He has no idea what he's saying. Like, he's headed alone to Caracas, Venezuela, and there's supposed to be a missionary that's, gonna, that's agreed to pick him up. All right? There's supposed to be one there. He's sitting there on the plane, and page, or, yeah, page 32, I've got a short, one more short excerpt I want to read. Just a couple sentences here. Verse the middle of 32, uh, I had to laugh at myself. That paragraph right in the center. I had to laugh at myself. Here I studied Greek, Hebrew, and Sanskrit. Yet I had never studied Spanish. Sometimes I thought, God is not very practical. Couldn't he have taught him Spanish? Couldn't he have had to have him take a Spanish class? Sure, but God's got another plan. God is teaching him. He's taught him all, given him opportunities to learn all these basis of language so he understands. But he wants him to learn that he is going to help him through every step. Okay, And so, off he goes. The missionary, Mr. Saunders, never picks him up. Never shows up at the airport. Says, oh yeah, I'll be there. Never shows up. It's his first major disappointment. And that night, he checks into a hotel. Ching, part of his $70 is gone. Boom, boom. He says, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know anybody here. I don't know where to go. The next day, a guy happens to stop him on the street. Julio. Stop him on the street and said, did you stay in that hotel? Well, yeah, he said, that hotel's for Americans. Well, I'm American, come home with me. Some stranger, Julio, right? Who is this guy? I don't know, but you had to trust that God's gonna help you through. And so he is 19 years old, and he's now in going to some stranger's house in a country he's never been in, can't speak Spanish, and he's just following home. And when he gets to his house, very simple hut. Basically, he has one tiny little bedroom, it says, with a window that's nailed shut and one light bulb hanging down. But he didn't care. It was okay. He had a place to be. God is going to continue to teach him about living in different standards. Julio comes in the next day and says, You said you wanted to meet with these Indian people. I got a guy for you, Mr. Christian, Dr. Christian. Dr. Christian is going to, he's a doctor that goes down in the rivers in 
Venezuela and all through this river and goes miles and miles and miles back through and catches and, and talks to these people. All of these Indian tribes. Okay, I'm going to show him to you. He's, he does his medicine down there alone. So God has been preparing and making a way for him. Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse number 28, please. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So does Bruce love God? Yes. Yep. Is Bruce called for a purpose to God? Yes. Yep. So God says, I'm going to make sure everything works together. Just so. Julio happened to be walking down the street the moment that Bruce was. Didn't happen to be. God made it work that way, right? Julio's walking down the street. He could have been five minutes earlier, five minutes later, but he wasn't. Said, hey, you look like a guy who needs help. Happens to know Miss Dr. Christian, who goes out into the wilds of the jungles, right where he's supposed to go. And God's circumstances says, everything's going to work right. I'm going to make this work. If you trust me, if you trust me, you delight yourself in me, you commit in me, you can rest in me. You don't have to worry. I will make it work. Okay? So he does this, and he's got a perfect way. Uh, I have a verse in Psalm. I'll just turn there. Psalm 18. Verse 30, Psalm 18.30 says this, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. God's way is exact and perfect. God makes no mistakes. No mistakes of where you are. No mistakes of where you're supposed to be. Even when you think you made a plan and everything messed up and you didn't get where you were supposed to do and you dropped your thing and you did that and you did all this, none of that was a mistake. It all happened in such a way to get you where you needed to be. At the right time, the right place, and the right way to meet the right people. And so the relationships are what we see that Bruce begins to build relationships become important. He starts out at home, very comfortable, goes to college, a little less comfortable, ends up going, uh, staying with Julio, kind of a little box of a house, but still okay, okay? And his relationships become more important and his dwellings become less important. Then, all of a sudden, he talks with this guy, Dr. Christian. Page 39, in your books, page 39. He has gone with Dr. Christian now for a trip down the river. He is staying in with some Indians. As Dr. Christian continues to go down the tributaries, he wants to stay and learn a, bit, a little bit about life. And he co Sunday comes and he says, why don't we go to church to these local tribespeople? And this is his answer. When Sunday came, I suggested 
to one of them. This is in the middle of page 39, a little bit down from the middle. When Sunday came, I suggested to one of them that we all go to the church, which wasn't far from their camp, and listen to the stories about God. He, that is one of the tribe's people, looked at me and frowned. No, we don't do that. Why not? Those Christians, they're strange. He wouldn't say any more, but he didn't. He did take me to the chief of the village, a big, strong character who laughed when he was told what I wanted to know. Listen, he said, those Christians don't care about us anymore. Why should we care about them? How do you know that they don't care about you? They're part of your tribe. Why, they've rejected everything about us, he said. They won't sing our songs now. They sing those weird wailing songs that are all out of tune and don't make sense. That's hymns, right? Normal Christian hymns, Amazing Grace and things like that. To them, they're terrible sounding. They don't like them. These particular people don't like those songs. And the construction that they call a church. Have you seen their church? It's square. How can God be in a square church? Round is perfect. He pointed to the wall of the hut in which we sat. It has no ending like God. But the Christians, their God has points all over bristling at us. And how those Christians dress. Such foolish clothes. I thought of the Indian Christians I had seen at the missionary compound, that they had been taught how to dress in clothes with buttons, how to wear shoes, how to sing Western songs. Is that what Jesus taught? I asked myself. Is that what Christianity is all about? What does the good news of Jesus Christ have to do with North American culture? In Bible times, there was no North American culture. Were the missionaries making a mistake in their preaching? So where he stopped, there were missionaries. And they had made converts of the tribe's people. And when they made the converts, they made a division in the tribe. Bruce is learning right now. There are things, when you go to other places in the world, that people don't look at things the same. Not that... They can't love God. God himself told Bruce, I am in South America. But many times we take our culture and what we like and what we do and what we're comfortable with and what we know and try to take it and force others to do it and say, this is God. And he says, square buildings aren't God. Square, God is round, right? Now, that's just a different way to look at it. Is God in a square building or a round building? God doesn't care, right? He isn't even in any building. He's in everywhere. But their understanding was such in their culture that they said, that doesn't even make sense. Pointy square edges that hurt people. Who wants that? Right? That's not even godly. So, Bruce begins to think differently again. He's taught differently because he does not want to make that same mistake. And God has called him in a very different way. Some people can be called with mission boards and things like that and all of that is a good thing and God uses them. 
And other people, like Bruce, is called without one. Because God has a specific people or a specific thing that needs to be done and said in a specific way. And Bruce has learned and taken right up to the edge of where he needs to be. Okay, So he learns about that and when he goes and is with some of those missionary kids, there's some missionary kids that are about 19, 20 years old, and he goes and they reject him. They play with him one day. They're out talking with him, doing stuff with him. Maybe they're playing a game or whatever. And the next day, we're not allowed to talk to you anymore. Because the missionaries didn't like that he was there on his own. So Bruce again starts to feel that rejection. He starts to feel that. First Peter, it says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you undergo. When you're a Christian, there will be fiery trials. And one of the hardest trials to undergo in life is rejection and loneliness. Regardless of who you are or where you are, being rejected hurts and it affects you. And it is why Jesus Christ says was despised or hated and rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Christ himself felt rejection. Christ himself felt those, those things and loneliness. And it was the hardest thing, but he had to learn it. And so the missionaries reject him, reject him. But God brings new people. Another group of boys comes in, and the group of boys says, we want you to come. Hello, hello, we want you to come. English. We want you to do English for us, right? And so he goes to this Sunday school, and you know who's there? The priest that he met in the airport that spoke Latin. And he could speak Latin to him, and so he spoke Latin and got him to speak to say, oh, the missionary didn't show up at the airport. <clears throat> that priest is the one. Now, he's a Catholic priest. Not Lutheran, not anything else. He's Catholic, and now that they see him go to the Catholic Church, he's totally up. Missionaries have completely rejected him and said, you are not welcome here. So he feels that push and that hate. One of the older brothers of one of those young boys in that priest's Sunday school class comes out. His name is Raphael. And he comes out and says, I want you to come to my house. Stay at my house. So Bruce says, hey, great. I got a place to stay. So he goes to his place. He gets in there. <coughs> dirt floor. Mud hut thatched roof, cockroaches all over the place. A hammock hanging on the wall. We're getting closer to living in life down in the jungles. One step at a time, we're getting closer to what Bruce will have to do. You've watched him go from home to college to a hotel to a square room with one light bulb. Now he's in a mud hut with cockroaches. He's gonna have to learn to live that way. But he has learned to value people for who they are. 
He has learned to have a kindness and a love for people for who they are. And he says, I never felt so at home. Crawl up into a hammock, hanging from the thing, cockroaches all around, didn't matter. Because he had a place to be. So we began to value things differently. And we say, oh, I wouldn't want to live with cockroaches. And it's true, but God had to teach him from Minnesota to cockroaches, okay? Home in your bed to cockroaches. And he got him there by saying, trust me, trust me. I will get you to where you need to be. But his friendships became deeper and more loyal. And this guy, Raphael, happened to be a guy, picked him up. He went to the University of Caracas. And eventually, he heads back to Caracas uh, with Raphael. And next thing is, they're shooting all around. Bullets. And he doesn't realize how dangerous it can be. That's chapter 7 where we pick up. We see God's hand in everything. God's hand in making sure it happens. He didn't even have the money for a ticket to get to Caracas. But a little boy came up and handed him the one letter. How'd they find his place where he lives? I have no idea. He handed him the letter. It was $100. <laughs> enough for a ticket to get from one place to the next. And God gave him just what he needed when he needed it. And he begins to really trust God can do this. Because when he gets out into the jungles, there's nobody else. Okay? There's no civilization to depend on. He, it's, it's him and God and these Indians who he's never met before. Okay? And he's going to have some tough times and hard things. But God prepares him for it all the way along. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Please read 7, 8, and 9 for next week. I don't know if you'll get all the way through them, but read 7, 8, and 9, and we'll go from there.